Thank you for the music team that's led us so beautiful in worship. Let's give them a hand. Good evening, family. From my side, it's an honor and privilege again to be here tonight and to minister the Word of God. And tonight, we're going to speak about a very exciting topic. Remember, we are busy with a core value series. Whom of you by now would know the core values of the church? Let's start with... Lordship. Evangelism. Okay, we're going to do the series again next week. We're going to start with Lordship. Okay, Lordship, Evangelism, Discipleship, Leadership. And tonight we're going to speak on family. Are you ready? Okay, let's, let's, get, that, let's get that sound on. Let's, let's see, see if there's a soundtrack for family. Woo! We are family. I got all my sisters with me. Well done. At least some of you are excited to be part of this family, okay? And all the introverts are about to die, okay? Okay. So I love the energy in this room. If we speak on family tonight, we're going to talk about authentic church community. Um, I don't know about you, but when you go to a church, let's say you have to consider a church that's one of the things you, you sort of expect. I hope that, yeah, I'm going to have authentic relationships. Yeah, I'm going to be really loved. Yeah, someone is going to really um, be tuned into my life and walk with me. And, and we almost have this exp, uh, ex, uh, expectation that people would smell when there's a problem in my life. They would just spiritually know it. They're so tuned into me and they're going to be on it. Whenever I go through something, there's going to be people there, and they're going to love me. I truly hope that that's your experience. I want to ask you forgiveness already, because you might be disappointed, because it doesn't always work like that. Because surely you're not so spiritually tuned into people around you, are you? Yeah, so it, it takes two to tango. It's really all of us that need to learn to walk with one another. But I want to ask you the question, if there's a serious, significant life event, who are the people that you think about first? I don't know if you remember, think back on 2020 when lockdown was announced and you heard about the pandemic and you start to see strange things happening in the world, uh, airports closing down, nations closing down, restaurants closing down, businesses closing down. Who were the people that you would think of immediately? Is it that girl that sits next opposite you in the in the in a math class, or were you thinking about your family, perhaps? I remember our holiday was, was cut short, and we had to come back. 
on the road. We were listening to the radio all the time and all the strange things happening. We didn't know what was going on. But the first person that we thought about was my wife's mother because she's staying alone. And we thought, what if something happens to her? So we made plans for her to come and stay with us. If your house burns down, some of you are like, yeah, we're going to get a new house. No, you need to make sure that your family are okay. Okay, I hope that's your first thought. Okay, so what about coming back from a trip, maybe to a holiday trip? Um, who do you want to share it with? You had a nice experience. You want to tell somebody. I remember, uh, um, still in our family, my brother is very much hooked on the Kruger National Park. And <laughs> me too. We, I love it too. But it's this ritual. Every year, he's got a countdown. It starts like 115 days before the... And then he posts on our group. It's 115 days, and then it's 85 days. And then it's got, he makes you crazy. And then coming back, always when we were with my parents, you had to sit and watch the elephant and the blind. And the, oh, we saw another um, a cheetah. We saw another leopard. I'm like, yeah, I, I, that was the same of yesterday. Um, <laughs> you just had to. If you want to or not, you have to listen to his story. Then I remember I went overseas, and then my family got all excited about it, and I think I went to Europe, and they're like, oh, take a lot of photos and, you know, bring that back memories. We want to see everything, and I was like, oh, I'm going to do this, and I, I took it seriously. I did take thousands of pictures, okay, because I'm going to tell them the whole story, and I, I was so tuned into every detail. I came back, and lo and behold, one of my biggest disappointments, they were not really keen or interested and bothered about my story. I don't know about you. Have you had such an experience? You were so hyped up and then everybody moved on. <laughs> That's family, but I want to show you my family. This is a picture of my family, the people that, that I really love and who I want to spend the rest of my life with, who I care the most for. It's my beautiful wife, Urenti, and our cute little girl, Abigail. Isn't she cute? Oh, she's such a cutie. <laughs> Something happens, those are the people I immediately think about. I want to make sure they're okay. See, in family, we've got this place where you can have your greatest um, expectations met. Now, for us, for instance, when we fell pregnant and we had, um, in the pregnancy, our family surprised us with a baby shower. And I remember way back in school, I had this one sister that really annoyed me. You know, family, brothers and sisters, they just know how to press that button. And I was, I think I was in primary school, I still learned to play the, uh, the organ at home. I was curious about this instrument. But she had her radio on all the time, and it was always tuned in, and there was always a Tina Turner song. I don't know why. Guys, still today, I can't handle that song. Simply the best. And then I come back home. For me, the radio is just a bunch of noise. I want music. Then I put off the radio, and then I start getting on my organ. And then she comes back from school. She's like, oh, put off my radio. And we had this big fight about noise and radio and music. And get off that organ. And then it's always like that. And it went so badly that I had to trade my bedside cupboard for a half an hour of playing on the organ. How's that for manipulation? 101. It gets bad in family. It's people that really annoy you, eh? But this same sister of mine, at this baby shower, 
she surprised me with this gift. Now, I know m most of the time at the baby shower, I hope most of you don't know what that is. <laughs> Not supposed to know that now. Study, please. Get, finish with your varsity. But mostly baby showers are for the mums and the ba babies. But she brought me this beautiful gift. I love leather. So I love it. But when I got it, and I opened it, lo and behold, it's a daddy diaper bag. <laughs> How cute is this? And I'm set up, you know, to get my baby girl through this phase. But what really got me was when I, when I untied this belt, I started to sob. And that taps into the greatest disappointment of family. My dad passed away in 2020. And I realized he never met my girl. And he would never. And she would never have met her grandpa. And that's the one person I would have loved her to meet. But now it's up to me to tell the story. It really touched my heart so deeply. And that's the thing about family. It, you can have these highs, but you also have these lows of disappointments and, and expectations meet. No, but, for, but for Abigail and her family, she does have one more granddad and two grandmothers that really, really adores her. And like many other families, she's got uncles and aunts and cousins and people like that. But what is important about her, fa her family that's different than many other families is we can testify that she is surrounded with spiritual mommies and daddies and grandparents, and uncles, and people that are ready not just to do a babysit for us, but that would love to speak into her life, that would love to pray over her. So we are surrounded with spiritual family, and this little girl is privileged to be born into that. And we can testify, even for ourselves, getting married. The first two and a half years for us wasn't right, really honeymoon stage, maybe because we got married older, um, just do a word of advice, you know, maybe get married earlier. So it was tough. And we had two, two moments where we nearly d got divorced. Not because we believe in it, because it was just so tough. And we had people speaking into our lives. They come to the rescue. They helped the spiritual family. And then even uh, from there, we had a difficult road um, struggling to conceive. We had two miscarriages. The second miscarriage happened on the day of my dad's funeral. Then there was a waiting period. You wait and you hope. And then we started with fertility treatment. You can imagine that up and down. So people supported us through all of this. We experienced family through all of that pain. Encouragement, prayer, financial support, whatever you can think of. And then with the IVFs, that is quite expensive. You think studies are expensive? Try to go for that. Then we had two times IVF treatments, and both of them failed. And you end up in this dark pit of despair. And we had people, family, spiritual family, that was there in that crucial time. Now, we can testify of that. We've got the joy of when Abigail was born. You can imagine the flood of blessings and the joy that we shared with people around us. You can have that experience, but it's up to you to choose that. It's not that easy to allow people into your most private space. It's not that easy to allow people into your deepest struggles. Am I right? We all want the fun and the stuff and the bra and the coffees and the socials. We want that. We want the friendship. 
But, and we want people there when there's a problem, but did you allow them in? And you see there's a door that only you can open. And you need to open that door way in advance so that people can enter through that door when it's at, at the right time. COVID was supposed to teach us that it's too late to build those deep relationships in a pandemic, in a crisis like that. So have you heard the statement before? Families are the building blocks of society. Who's heard that statement before? What do you think about that statement? I want you to think about it. Share your view, share your opinion with the person next to you. What do you think about that statement? right, this is not a philosophy class. Don't go that deep. You're only supposed to say, I agree or I don't. (laughs) It's a yes or a no. I agree or I don't agree. Okay. I want us to see if this this statement's uphold through Scripture. So we're going to look at Matthew 12. And tonight we're going to see how Jesus and family comes together or not. Okay. So Matthew 12, verse 46 to 48. I'm going to read. You're welcome to follow in your real Bible. Um, all is up on the screen. So while Jesus was talking to the crowd like I'm doing tonight, he's speaking to a crowd. What do we call that if people are preaching or speaking to a crowd? Sorry, what do we call it if people are standing here and preaching to a crowd? Preaching, what is this? church, okay, right, Jesus is in church, (laughs) ministering, okay, and then his mother and brothers stood outside, Eh? his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him, okay, now, maybe Jesus didn't notice, someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside, wanting to speak to you, and he replied to him, who's my mother? Who's my brother? Whoa, hang on here. What a strange response. I mean, if I'm busy talking in here, and my mom is standing outside here, and someone comes and says, hey, your mom is outside, I'm going to say, bring her in. I mean, is it not? Or I might even go to her and say, okay, are you okay? Can I help you? Why would Jesus respond like this? Did he not know his mother? If he's saying, who's my mother? Does he not know? Should we introduce him? Mary, Jesus? <laughs> I'm serious. It's a strange response. Is, is he not aware that they were outside? Were he, doesn't he care that, he's out, that they are outside? Or perhaps maybe he's been alienated somehow from his family, that like they need a bit of a family reunion. Uh, they, maybe they were disconnected from each other. I don't know what it meant when he said, who's my family? But here's the thing that boxed my mind. Jesus was now busy with the most important mission on earth, building the kingdom of God, investing in the lives of people. I would think to myself, wouldn't you expect that his family would be in the front row? Like going like, come on, Jesus, you can do it. 
Why are they outside while he's busy ministering to the crowd? Jesus, I mean, it's Jesus, the Son of God, and his family is not part of it. Jesus is building society, he's building the kingdom, and it seems like he's not building within. Maybe, so I thought, maybe it refers to an earlier statement in Matthew 10, 10, we see that Jesus made quite a shocking statement. He says, don't think that I came to bring peace to this earth. Some of you think that he, comes, he came to bring peace. Maybe the second time when he comes, but the first time he didn't bring peace. He says, I came to bring a sword. Then he refers to the family. He says, there's going to be issues with a dad and a son and a mom and a daughter and a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. There's a sword coming into the family. Then he says, whoever loves his mother and father more than me is not worthy to follow me. So what is Jesus saying? Does it mean then that Jesus is not for family? Is Jesus then against family? What do you think? Well, that's how it looks like, and that's how it sounds like. What happened to this whole idea of families are the building blocks of society? Jesus is now building the kingdom, but the basic building block, his own family, is not included. It's not part of it. Isn't that significant? The Son of God building the church, the New Testament, and this building block is not there. So how accurate is that statement then? He's leaving out the most basic building block family. Can you see the picture? But you, Jesus there, the family outside. Now, it's already hard enough to keep families together, to keep marriages together. And even in that time, it's been a boiling pot and an issue. And the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders, saw the opportunity. And they looked at Jesus and they thought, well, maybe, that, maybe that's his position. Maybe the, he's not really all for family, maybe if he says he's the son of God and he gives us the go-ahead to say, it's okay, you can divorce whenever you feel like it. Can you see the compromise among them? They want to be religious, they want to be godly people, but they, wanna, uh, they don't want to uphold the godly standard. They want someone to say, it's okay, I understand, it's tough, difficult to be married to one wife. So they came to test him with a trick question. Just like they brought that woman, the adulterous woman to Jesus to test him. So they had, <coughs> they had this question, says, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So he's, they're challenging Jesus. Okay, now we want to see what's your view on family. And this is how he responded. He says, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female, and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So there are no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. So when Jesus was put to the test and he had to explain his view, he referred way back to the beginning. He's, now for anything here on earth, if you want to understand something, you want to go back to its origin. Isn't that true? Even with language, if you struggle with a word, you always want to Google, where does this word originate from? What is the original idea of this word? And then we understand something better. So if we want to understand everything in the word of God, we need to go to the first reference. And Jesus says, let's go back to the beginning, back to God's original design. Don't you just love that picture of Adam and Eve and the parrot? <laughs> I like that parrot. 
But to be honest, I don't think Adam and Eve looked like that exactly. I think they had a bit more darker tone of skin. It's difficult to find pictures on Google with, because I was brought up and bombarded with these white Adam and Eves. Sorry to disappoint you, but I don't think they, they looked like that. They didn't. Maybe that rocks your boat a bit. But what an idealistic picture. These men and women coming together naked, but at least she's carrying something. All right, so she's, <laughs> she's covering up. So Jesus is referring to this beautiful, sweet union of God bringing, he says, God has put the man and woman together, and therefore they are one. Therefore, they cannot be separated. So Jesus is clearly not against family or marriage. He's actually supporting it. What is this beginning that we're talking about? It's talking about creation. And it's not just man, woman, family, there you go. It's God, man, woman. You see, they were created in God's image. There's something about God himself that needs to be reproduced. And God chose family from the start to say, let's create someone in our image. Have you read that in Genesis 1? God immediately is connected with our, us, plural. God is a relational God. God is a family God. And God has created us to be part of his family. And he says, let's bring people into this family, but let's put them on earth so that they can produce something on this earth that is godly. And that's what Jesus is referring back to. In Genesis 2, it refers to that same scripture. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother. And guess what? If you get married, you, you're going to have to leave your father and mother behind. Okay. You know, you have to get glued to your husband and to your wife one. But then in the Old Testament, the last prophet, the last book in the Old Testament, who knows who that is? Malachi, he's a prophet. So when a prophet speaks, you can know already something's wrong. A prophet is addressing an issue. So there's an issue there that, that Malachi is addressing. So again, th there's this rise of unfaithfulness in marriage and divorce. And the prophet is preach preaching and he's saying, yeah, has not the Lord made them one? Why do you want to break it up with divorce? In flesh and spirit, they are His. Can you see the connection with God? Why one is asking the question? Have you ever thought about it? Do you want to get married? Who would like to get married one day? Yeah. Do you want to stay one with your spouse? Do you want to stay one with your spouse? Do you want to break up that marriage? Do you want a divorce? Have you thought about the concept of why one? Or do you just assume it's going to happen? Oh, we're going to be so in love and it's like this. And we're like, <laughs> it doesn't always happen like that. Can I just? It's a process. But it's the one, it's him that makes us one. It's becoming one. And then he says, why one? Then thank God Malachi answers the question. Otherwise, we would still be asking the question. He says, why? Because God desired something. What did God desire? God desire, you can say those words with me, a godly offspring. Say it again. And even Paul, the writer of two-thirds of the New Testament, 
confirms the same idea. Jesus confirms the same idea. Everybody's pointing back to the same beginning. Even Malachi pointing back to the same beginning. So something important is underlined there. God desired a godly offspring. And I want you to think about that image now that of the DNA. That sort of communicates to me the idea of you were created and designed to carry something, a DNA carrier, a godly offspring. What a nice idea, eh? Godly offspring. But what do we see when we look at families? What did Malachi see at that point? That he as a prophet had to speak up. He saw marital unfaithfulness among the priests. He saw divorce rates spiking. And he says, hey guys, sorry, something's wrong here. What did Jesus see? I mean, the Pharisees came to him with a trick question, hoping that he would compromise and give them the the green light so that they can play around. The religious leaders were hoping to get the answer from Jesus. It's okay, you can do it. This is what Jesus saw. What do we see today? We see a lot of dysfunctional families. We see unfaithfulness again. Just watch some movies, series. I mean, it's pushed down your throat. Everybody sleeps with everybody. They can just name all the series that. That's a nice title for every story that you watch nowadays. We see divorce. We see neglect in families. We see abuse in families. Then we see on the other side a form of dysfunction, Disney World parents. They're like, hey, I'm not spending time with you, but when we go on this holiday, I'm going to pay for everything, and it's going to be amazing, and I'm going to supply everything that you need. I'm going to make up with money. Then we have the Instagram families. They've got all these Facebook posts about all their happy memories, and from a distance it looks like they've got it all together, but at home they're not even speaking to one another. Keeping up with the Joneses. What a pressure. Then we see the I want to break free generation. Do you still know that song? Woo, you know it. Okay, th- that, okay. You know that generation that says, my parents, ugh, what do they know? I know. If I just get my chance, I'm going to show them. They know nothing. I know everything. And it's that individualism of, I can do this. I've got this. I don't need my previous generation. What do they know? A bunch of oldies. One of them are speaking to you tonight. Okay, back to Matthew. So Jesus was standing, talking to a crowd. The mother and the brothers are outside. Someone says, hey, what what do we see in this situation? Do we see them standing outside because they were dysfunctional? It was not as as the result of dysfunction. You see, uh, they say that the, the father of Jesus, Joseph, has probably died. And Jesus, as the oldest brother, became the head of the family. It's, it's a quite normal situation. So, it's a functional family. It's, they're still a functional fam- family unit. Nothing wrong. No major drama there. Only difference is that they were disconnected from what Jesus was busy doing. You see, so it's not just because of dysfunction, because we as church can go and say, yeah, the world, you know, they are so dysfunctional, and we put them in that category, and we think that we're inside because we're not dysfunctional. It's not about being dysfunctional alone. It's about being disconnected. They were disconnected. What about the Japanese family? Think about Japanese. Forget about all our cultures here. Japanese. Have you ever watched them? 
they go into the house, they put off their shoes, they walk nicely on these clean floors. There's the dad, the mom, the two children, very well behaved, lack nothing, no abuse, no neglect, just not connected to God's kingdom. Where are they? Inside or out? There's a lot of people in this world that grows up in functional families, but they're outside. Just like people in dysfunctional families are standing outside. What about gay families? Two guys coming together saying, hey, I'll be the husband, you'll be the wife, and let's have children, let's adopt children because we can't have them. And now we're a family. And they, they can make themselves a family and they can actually function quite well as a family. And they can argue and say, but we're a family. Who are you to say we are not a family? Where are they? Inside or out? You see, here was just a, a, a family who's lost the dad, but yet they were outside. The mother and the brothers of Jesus. See, Mary and the brothers of Jesus had to make a decision to come to Jesus on the terms of or the basis of faith. They had to at some stage come to the place where they say, I believe that you are the Son of God. You see, even on the way to the crucifixion, the brothers of Jesus said to him at some stage, Hey, you're the Messiah. Don't go in secret. Go in public and make yourself known to the world. They didn't speak like people that really believed in him. It's a mockery. They're not serious about it. They don't believe. They didn't believe at that point of time. So what did Jesus do at this point? He asked the question, who's my mother? Who's my brother? And then he did something. He didn't leave it there. He started to point to some people around him. He didn't point to the crowd. He pointed to his disciples and he says, this is my brother. This is my brother. This is my mother. This is my mother. This is my brother. Let me explain to you. And he says, he clarifies it. He says, those who does the will of the Father, they are my family. Suddenly we see the concept of family again in the life of Jesus. It didn't disappear. Jesus is saying this, those who are disciples, they are family. Those who are disciples, they are in. So we sang the song and we got very excited. We are, we should say something else. We say, am I a disciple? And then I can say, I'm a brother. Okay. <coughs> it's checking the right thing. Am I a disciple of Jesus? Therefore, I can say I am family. But is this an abandonment of natural family? Is Jesus starting the New Testament abandoning natural family? No, not at all. Because in 1 Timothy 5 it says, If you as a Christian neglect to look after your immediate family, you have, you have um, denied your faith and you're actually worse off than a sinner. So in no way the intention is to neglect your family. We just need to make sure our families fit into what God has called us as a spiritual family. It's natural families slotting into spiritual families. So Jesus didn't come with this new idea or new definition of family. He just clarified 
family in the right context. Jesus defines spiritual family, and he says, it's not just a bunch of people coming together, not just a bunch of natural families grouped together. It's not another sector of society or a subgroup of society. You see, who is Jesus at this point? In the beginning, there was the first man whose name was Adam. He was given a certain God DNA. Do you agree? First man created in God's image. And he was responsible to carry over this DNA through all the generations. Now something went wrong. We know sin happened. And here comes Jesus, the Son of God from heaven. He's called the second Adam. Did you know that? It means we've got a second start, a new clean slate. And here, the DNA giver from heaven comes, and he's defining family again for us. And he says, if you want to be part of this, it's only one way. He makes it clear. He says, you can only get to the Father through me. You need to have a certain spiritual DNA to be part of it, or you're standing outside. You can even be my mother giving birth to me, and you're standing outside unless you have the spiritual DNA. Maybe your parents were Christians. It doesn't mean you are one. It's not because of association. Maybe your friends are Christians. It doesn't mean you are. You have to come to a decision just like Mary and the brothers of Jesus had to make a decision. What is that decision? It means I decide that Jesus is my Lord. I submit to that. I decide that I embrace my family. This is my family. I submit to it. But I want to explain it in another way for you. From Adam to Jesus, here was another example how God has used family to be a carrier of that DNA. Now, who of you are familiar with the story of Noah? Okay, I hope most of you are. Otherwise, I have to tell the whole story. Now, Noah was called by God to do what? To start a new world. God brought an end to the world at that stage with a flood. And he says, Noah, I see you. You need to get in this boat. Get in the boat. And when you get on dry land, you will be the, the start of a new generation. Tonight, I see a lot of Noahs in this room. The start of a new generation. And I ask myself, how are you going to get into that boat? What, what do you have with you? It's more important when you get out of this boat, when you're ready to, to, to transfer what you have. What do you have to transfer if everything comes to, to you? So I want you to imagine for a moment you are Noah. You had to build the ark. You had to make sure everything is ready so that when you set your foot on, on a new soil, it's going to be a fresh new start and you're going to get it right this time. What are you going to do? Who are you going to speak to? Where are you going to get your input from? Where are you going to get the spiritual DNA that you're supposed to carry? Are you allowing people and voices to speak into your life? Or do you think, I've got it. No, I've got it. Don't worry. God, I can do it. Let me get into that boat. I'm ready. Or can you, can you tap into something that has been carried over by the ancestors? Can you get back to the source how did Noah get back to the source? How do you think the creation story made it because there was no written word? How did the creation story made it over the 1,500 years, maybe longer, 2,000 years up till Moses? 
How can you trust the creation story even a bit if it was just overtelling? You see, going back, you see that campfire story. Imagine, not Noah, but his father, Lamech, when he was small, sat at the campfire in the village, and he could have his dad, Methuselah, the oldest man on, on the Bible, next to him and say, Hey, Dad, tell me again, why do we wear these clothes? Oh, we sinned. Okay, and then God killed a ram, and God made us this. Oh, okay, I get it. But, um, no, I'm not sure. Let's ask, um, let's ask Adam. Did you know, I want to show you the genealogy, that from Adam down, you see Adam, Seth, then Enosh, then the guy I can't read, and then I can't see you there. Um, <laughs> but all these names, they were like 900, 905, 910. They lived like forever. That red line there indicates that everybody apart from Noah knew Adam personally. How crazy is that? So when Noah got into the boat, he only had to get it from his father. So that just reminds me again, what did Adam say? Oh, let me, uh, I asked him one day, and he told me. <laughs> I spoke to Eve, and she told me, don't listen to the serpent. <laughs> Can you see how beautifully intact the creation story, the original spiritual DNA was carried over around that campfire? Methuselah and Enoch, the guy that was taken up from heaven. Did you know that God just took him away? He never died. They were sitting around the same campfire. They witnessed all of that. And then God says, there's a righteousness in this family line that's going to be passed on. The rest of the world has become corrupted. This family has kept it all together. And I'm going to choose Noah. And when he said Noah, he said, Noah, get your wife on the same page. Get your sons. It's now the new generation. Noah, set up your family like your ancestors have set you up. See, this is a beautiful picture of a natural family coming into its right place within the context of spiritual family. Amen? So I want to end off with this. What is God's idea then with family? God is a relational God. God is a family God. God desires for us to be in family, natural family but specifically to be in his, in his family, spiritual family. God desires for natural families to be submitted into spiritual family so that it can come to its right. But mostly God desires a godly offspring. He desires people that will be a spiritual DNA carrier of godliness into this world. Who are you tonight? You will find your spouse maybe sooner than later and you're going to get married and hopefully you're going to have children. It doesn't mean that they are godly offspring. What are you producing? Look at your discipleship, the people that you're reaching out to. What are you producing? Are you passing on godliness? Is there an arrogance in your soul that says, don't worry, I can do this? Or can you go and get input from those leaders around you that can teach you to say these are the values that you need to get in your heart. See, back to Jesus. Jesus clarified for us the expectation or the definition of family. And he says basically this. You can experience spiritual family when you are submitted to the, to, to the Lordship of Jesus. When you made that decision. 
If you have the same spiritual DNA, you have family. If you have the father, you have family. The word says if you have the son, you have the father. And therefore we can say brother, sister. Just like the mother of Jesus had to make a decision, the brothers of Jesus had to make a decision to say, it's because I believe he is the son of God. Yesterday we played together. Today, I have to respect him because he's Christ. So you also have to make a decision. How do we get into a family? You are born into a family. We are born again when we submit our lives to Jesus. You become spiritually alive. And for those of you who have become born again in this family, it's a no-brainer. This is your family. You don't know anything else. But some of you, like me, have got to salvation way back. You were born again in another church and something happened and now you are here. It's a different thing. It's more like an adoption. It's true. You can be put in this family, but you kick and scream against this family like crazy, like an adopted child is doing at first. Because you haven't surrendered yet. You haven't embraced your family. You haven't settled it in your heart. You know, the moment someone offends you, the moment someone speaks to you in a certain way, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm out now. This is, not, this is not working for me. You think church is like a shopping list. You can go to this sh shop and then that one and whatever suits you. No, it's time for you to settle this in your heart. This is your family. Tonight, this is my job to tell you this is your family. Now accept it so that you can move on, get into the program. Get busy with God, what God has actually called you to become, a DNA carrier. And Jesus is calling us to a response. He's calling us tonight to come to the Father, but through Him. He's calling you to align your family and maybe your idea of a family. And maybe one day you're going to be in your own family, but you are responsible to align your family into, into His calling. Let's pray. So I want to give you first an opportunity for anybody here yeah, that you know you desire a relationship with God. You know enough about it, but you're standing on the outside. You haven't really made the decision to submit your life to Jesus. And therefore, you don't yet have that connection with the Father. If you want to make the decision tonight, please raise your hand and then we will pray together. Thank you. I see a hand there. I'm going to pray a very basic prayer, but I want you to maybe come to the front afterwards and speak to me, and I will maybe just explain something else. And you can pray with me when I pray this. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name, and I accept the fact that I'm a sinner, and I repent of my sin. I'm turning away from being a sinner, and I come to you to become a son of God through Jesus Christ. I accept the Lordship of Jesus. I surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. And I accept what Jesus has done for me on the cross. In Jesus' name. I would like you to please come and speak to me afterwards. Then I want to also give an opportunity for you. You are born again. You know God. You're in a relationship with God. But somehow you haven't settled the matter about spiritual family. You're still sort of standing on the outside. Although you're inside, yeah, in your heart you feel a bit disconnected. You're still, am I, am I not? You haven't settled the matter. 
tonight I feel it's an opportunity for you to settle that. If the Holy Spirit is, is stirring something in your heart about settling the matter about this family, why don't you just raise your hand and we're going to pray. Thank you. Wow, thank you. There's no pressure here. You can pray about it. And if you sense this is not your family, please find a church and submit to it. But for you that raised your hands, I want to pray for you. Father, I pray for those people that now made that commitment. I pray that something will settle in their souls. I pray that they will immediately start to experience spiritual family, that they will feel that connection of being brothers and sisters. And I pray that you will show them where they belong and where they fit into this family. And lastly, I want to give an opportunity for some of you. I, I know most of you are not married. You're not in your own family. But you've got your own idea about how your family will be like. And maybe tonight you've been challenged with your idea versus God's idea. And if you realize that your idea was not fully surrendered or aligned with what God has got in mind, you were a Noah, but you were not ready to get into the ark. Or maybe perhaps not ready to get out of the ark because you didn't have everything that you needed. And God is speaking to you tonight to surrender that idea of family. Won't you raise your hand and then I'm going to pray for you. Yes, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord. I want to pray now for all the Noahs in this room, Lord. You are calling people that will lead this next generation, but you need us to be responsible, Lord. And I pray for every person that's raised their hands now, that you will help them to align their idea of family in the context of what you called us to be. To surrender the, all the self-made and idealistic ideas that we had. That we say, ah, oh, it's going to be like that, and I will never, and I will always, and the vows that we make, that's so ungodly. I pray that you'll break it down. I pray that you will, again, help us to see your kingdom and see where our families will one day fit into that. And Lord, I pray, thank you for the privilege that we have to be part of your family. In Jesus' name, amen.